This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Our fall series is in full swing. We are calling that Talking About Talk, and all these episodes are looking at the importance and the role of good dialogue and the place that has in our own lives and is in society at large. Our last episode was on small talk. Now, Hannah, you and I talked a little bit about the difficulty and the tension of making small talk and how hard that is. Mm. But I think what we're going to look at today is kind of going to shift that into something a little bit more lighthearted and less angst-filled. Well, it's interesting because since we did the episode on small talk, I've been like self-editing my small talk. Like I've been Mm -hmm. watching the Mm -hmm. ways that I make small talk and um, trying to kind of be an observer and analyze it. And one of the things I think that's so fun sometimes is when we're trying to make that point of connection with people, even small talk, that we can sometimes um, use humor or like really bizarre jokes that fall flat because we're like – it's really uncomfortable to begin with, and we're trying to yes. find a point of connection. And so we open our mouth and say something really dumb. <laughs> At least I've noticed that's what I Yes. Do. <laughs> oh, I, I am right there with you. So often when I feel stuck for something to say, I'll um, – my my mind goes in a in a strange quirky direction and I'll toss something out there thinking I'm being funny and then I realize oh that's only funny for someone who's a little bit off kilter like me and then this person who doesn't know me they're like oh okay I don't know what to do with you and so I need some some skills in this area um but I do agree with you that small talk very often that can use elements of humor. And I I see such a good connection between that and today. Today, we're going to talk about humor and its role in our conversations and how that can help us in communicating. Right. And because um, I don't feel adept in this, and I, Erin, I don't know if you do, to me, humor and jokes, like I... (laughs) I feel like I recognize good humor and I I am trying to attempt it at times, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, We've decided to bring on some of the best kind of company today to help us sort through this question of using jokes, teasing, humor, how all of these things can actually help our ability to communicate with each other. And so today on Persuasion, we are happy to have Ben Fort with us. Ben, welcome. Howdy from Texas. Thanks so much for coming and talking with us. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Now, Ben, why don't you go ahead and tell listeners why you are here? Like, why would we ask you to come on? <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I teach sketch comedy writing at a 
Theater four-day weekend, which has locations in Fort Worth and Dallas. And uh, yeah, so they teach improv classes, but I teach uh, sketch comedy writing. So scripted narrative comedy for the stage, not so much video. Now, how did you get into that, Ben? I've always enjoyed uh, doing scripted comedy uh, in my in middle school. My first sketch was a Steve Irwin impersonation, the Crocodile mm. Hunter. <laughs> uh, I I actually died at the end of the scene, which uh, oh, that was, wow. that was before he died. That was before he died, uh, and I felt kind of bad. Like, did I cause this? Um, but yeah, so. Uh, you spoke it into the universe. <laughs> uh, but I kept, uh, I did, I had the opportunity to do uh, scripted comedy, sketch comedy in college. And then uh, my friends and I moved up to Chicago, Second City, uh, to take classes at Second City. And uh, I took the writing program there and then independently produced uh, a sketch show and a couple of plays in a musical. Um, and uh, yeah, and then uh moved to Fort Worth by way of Michigan and and started teaching. So That's amazing. I I didn't realize that you had this rich history with it, that there has been a really concerted effort to apply yourself to the craft of humor and comedy. I think that's wonderful. In in the different stages here where you took some classes and now you are um, leading this um, seminar workshop series, this training center, how do you see those different components as helping you in your craft between the classes and then the teaching now and having the center? How, how have those contributed to your skill? Uh, to, to my skill of, of humor? He's just a funny mm-hmm. guy, Aaron. I just, well, well, yeah. <laughs> well, like, so this funny. is just a gift, right? This isn't something you can learn. You just are or you yeah. aren't, right? Well, well, that's funny because like, you know, people, when they, you know, hear that, they'll either say, oh, tell a joke or who's your favorite stand up, even though, you know, I'm doing more, you know, five minute vignettes uh, or they think it's improv. Um, But comedy communities are important because I don't know, like when you haven't put a scene to paper, it's the best version of it in your head (laughs) and uh, you need to bring it in and run it past others. And, you know, the first time almost always falls flat. Like maybe even when you're good, like five to 10% of your scenes are strong on a first draft. Um, But with others, you can kind of identify what's fun about the scene, uh, what's there. And uh, so, yeah, really I've been uh, trying to develop a community here of people who are, um, you know, generous in the writer's room, uh, but then with, with the goal of putting high quality content on the stage. So this is really intriguing to me because I think as an outsider on the industry, what I know of comedy is the stand-up comedian who gets up in front of a crowd and it looks like a very um, individualistic kind of process, right? I only mm-hmm. see the one person. But what you're describing is that humor not only develops and grows in context of community, but it also plays a role in building community. Um, Like it actually is creating um, bonds between people through this shared work and also kind of the shared truths that, that are embedded in a joke. 
Um, and I think that's part of what we want to explore today as we're talking about conversations and our ability to build these bonds with each other through dialogue is how humor can uniquely bond us to each other. Um, I know you've done some work thinking about that. Can you share with us how you see um, what the role of humor is in creating bonds between people, what we share in those moments of laughter? Yeah. And my focus is, I mean, my concern has been as a, you know, a, a Christian who is a sketch comedy teacher, most people aren't you know, coming from the Christian faith. So I've had to think about like, what's a framework uh, that works not only for me personally, but that I can uh, use with other people and also a framework that allows for funny comedy. <laughs> like, uh, like it doesn't work if it's like, oh. Yeah, because there's a whole lot of Christians who are not funny. I mean, they're just yes. not. They might be great people, but they are not funny. <laughs> um. We're not going to name names. Yeah. You know who you are. Actually, you don't. <laughs> you don't. That's the you don't know the rest who of you us are. Do. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, good times. Uh, but but yeah, so so in in that really unique context of like having to have some sort of framework that works for other people, um, for me as a Christian, uh, uh, the idea of you know we're made in the image of God. And that there's some inherent goodness and worth in all of us uh, that can't be discounted. But then because of sin, we're all terrible people and can make a mess of anything. Uh, and so w with those two poles that were, you know, beautiful, horrible people, I think that there's a lot of freedom for comedy. And so you can, with, with those two poles, you can ask, what's the joke here? Like, is the joke something that's inherent about this person? Uh, like, is this joke like because this person's a woman or a person of color or uh, like doesn't speak with a typical English accent or, you know, their level of ability? Is that what's off about them? Is that what's off about the world? Uh, or is the joke that they're, you know, they exhibit the sin and brokenness in each of us that, uh, that they're a horrible person. You know, uh, is it a selfish person that happens to be a woman, a hypocritical person that happens to be liberal or conservative? So uh, in my very specific context, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So Ben, what you're saying is that with the comedy, you are, you are seeing the, the common thread through humanity where we all could have these tendencies and that's what's off is is that we are all broken in a particular way and it may be manifested differently depending on the person the particular person but all of us have that tendency and then that's where you're finding the humor yeah yeah um like this this idea that like i and people like me can easily make a mess of things um but when you know, when when you laugh at something about someone that uh, is inherent to who they are, that marginalizes them and puts them down and says, oh, there's something about you that's just off. You know, like when we talk about physical appearance, people can't change that, you know, 
And so you're saying that like, there's something about you that's off um, besides sin. So Right. Because I think we do see that in a lot of humor that it has become tribal, like so many other things in our society. So much of our conversation is us versus them. And it's Mm -hmm. that tribalism Mm -hmm. of me and my group, we're fine, but you and yours, Mm -hmm. I'm going to poke fun, make the joke about the thing that makes you different, not the common uh, simple propensity that we all share. You know, you can make a joke about someone's hypocrisy but that joke's also going to confront your hypocrisy too. And mm-hmm. suddenly there's this bond, not with you and your tribal group, but the bond is the what you talk about is the beautiful, horrible humanity. And I think that's what's so um, beneficial about humor is that it, if done well, it can break down those tribal bonds and unite mm-hmm. us in this shared humanity that is both glorious, but also really terrible at the same time. And so, I mean, really, (laughs) in that sense, humor just needs to, like, laughing well looks like being a good person in a divided 2018. Uh, Because, I mean, this really just applies to, you know, how we engage with anything, whether it's humor or not. Um. I mean, like what happens when it, if you're the group that's not in power right now, what happens when you're in power? <laughs> uh, you know, are you doing things in a way that's sustainable? Are you joking about things that like when, when you're the group in power uh, and you've, you know, uh, if you're on top, you know, does that still, does your humor still, still work. work? Yeah. And I think this kind of idea of the fact that humor can be used to establish tribal boundaries, or if it's good humor, it can be used to reach the commonalities. I think it explains some of how humor works in conversations. Particularly, I'm thinking about teasing, how we can tease or play with someone, and depending on who it is and whether we trust them, that that same teasing can actually be a way of uniting us. Um, of creating a bond, reinforcing a bond that already exists. You feel safe with them. You know they're being playful with you. It's okay. But if you feel alienated for them, from them, that same teasing from someone else can mm-hmm. actually create further distance. And you're like, whoa, 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 you can't say that about me. Um, and yeah. so I think it's interesting how humor works in our daily conversations, not just, you know, this broad scale, how we talk to each other at large or humor comedians, you know, doing their, their bit, but how we interact with each other and what we find funny, um, in our daily relationships, how, how humor can be helpful to actually creating bonds between people. So when you said teasing, you know, like it can make you feel known, make you feel seen. Uh, when people get specific about you and who you are, it's like, oh, you've noticed that about me. And when it's done in good faith and benefit of the doubt, I think is uh, you know, a good way of thinking about it. Um, you know, you can feel known, but then if it's, uh, for lack of a better word, being spirited uh, or a way to keep you down, uh, then you feel exposed. 
Mm. That's so good. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Are you are you seeing more of that, Ben, in the field um, in terms of becoming aware of um, the the jokes or um, seeing that comedy at large is starting to be more sensitive, that maybe this is mean-spirited, or if you don't think it is, maybe you should be aware that someone else does. How is that editing happening? As as more people get a piece of the microphone, as comedy continues to get more diverse and people uh, are more aware of the toll that words and actions have on non-majority groups, um, you know, that's being taken seriously. And, uh, like one big part of this is, you know, who's in the room, you know, if everyone, if if everyone in the room, when you're writing jokes, or if, you know, to generalize this, if you're sharing stories and joking around, if everyone is the same, you know, if it's all a bunch of white males, you know, you might say, say certain things that uh, that if, you know, you had a black woman in the room, you might not say that thing, you know. Um, so I think like the mm-hmm. the room matters um, both in, you know, writing jokes or telling stories and working out our humor together. Um, if if there's something and, that go ahead. Yeah. And I think a good example of that, not to be controversial is the whole question of locker room talk. Mm. So I remember back in 2016 when these videos surfaced of now President Trump, you know, making some crude jokes. The response was very enlightening because based on the group, it was understood as, well, this is locker room talk. This is the way guys talk and joke when Mm. they're together. And so there was a frame of saying this isn't serious. This is just joking around. And as a locker room that is an exclusive audience, we all understand what this means. But when it hits a broader audience, you know, women are saying, I don't find that very funny. You know, and I think that's an example of um, how humor, we have to test what we consider funny. Not just by whether it unites us within our tribal group, but whether it really truly is universally funny. Um, And for the record, that's not funny. Locker room talk is not funny, Mm -hmm. even though it may may get a laugh in a certain audience. And I think maybe the difference is getting the laugh doesn't mean it's funny. Right. Yeah. We've all been on the the wrong end of a joke. People uniting in laughter against us <laughs> so you can't just see laughter or reaction mm-hmm. or uh online the laugh button on facebook <laughs> as uh, mm-hmm. as the sense um so actually you know there's like in person but like the stuff that you share online uh you know jokey comments or like oh this video is hilarious it's interesting to to and terrifying to to look at who thinks it's funny you mm-hmm. know who likes it? Uh, and, you know, and not everyone's going to like everything, but that can tell you a lot about how you joke and who you're joking to by just paying attention to who am I getting likes from? Who am I getting laugh things from? Cry emojis. <laughs> 
I'm thinking about how it's almost like inserting a joke that um, whether it's locker room talk or um, some sort of inside joke or something like that. It's jokes are easy, um, little side little sides, little quips, they're easy to slip into the middle of a conversation, almost like testing mm-hmm. the waters to see what the response would be. And I think, especially as um, I've become more aware of how joking can be demeaning toward particular yeah. groups of people, um, I become very sensitive to that when I'm in a social setting. And um, last episode, we talked about small talk. And I think another thing in a social setting that can give me a lot of angst is when there are these little comments tossed into the mix and everyone's talking and the conversation's moving and someone will throw something in that is meant to be funny, but it's hurtful, maybe not to me, but to people who I care about. And I feel like I don't know what to do. Um, it's like, oh, do I do I halt the group conversation that has just kept rolling and say something to this person like, hey, your joke wasn't funny. Um, but I feel like humor is a way of like testing yeah. the bounds in some ways. And it can be good, but I think in some ways it could also be pretty negative. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it it's hard to, especially the first time that you hear a joke said, you know, it's hard in that moment uh, to, you know, oh, how do I respond? Um, You know, I I felt uh, really bad for Senator Ben Sasse when he was caught on TV with Mm -hmm. Bill Maher saying something Mm -hmm. horrible, Mm -hmm. you know, and like everyone gave him so much flack for that. um, And for laughing at at an inappropriate joke. That uneasy laughter. But I, yes. You know, so like that, that I'm thankful for that moment because it gave me the chance to think, what would I do for that? So like, I've kind of got that, yeah, uh, yeah. that, <laughs> um, you know, in my toolbox now, but I think polite laughter, uh, is, is something that you can control. Um, so even if you don't say something, yeah. I think we all need to be better about withholding that polite laughter. Cause you, you know, when someone does not in the circle, doesn't think something's funny. And so, uh, okay, but I'm going to push back. I'm going to complicate this a little bit. Yeah. Because, complicate it. Well, all let's right. do it. So we are, we have this growing awareness of how the way we've made jokes or the way we've teased about things might be inappropriate or it might, um, you know, harm people. But I also see this, um, sense of where everyone's so serious all the time. Mm. Right. So everything has ultimate stakes and there is not room for playfulness. And I don't know that I necessarily agree with this sentiment, but what I'm hearing is people say, well, you can't be funny anymore. You can't make jokes about anything anymore. Everything's being regulated, um, you know, Mm, and mm -hmm. nobody knows how to take a joke anymore. That's what they say. Nobody knows how to take a joke anymore. So on the one hand, I understand the need for higher sensitivity about who is paying the price for our jokes. But I also see this growing sense of, um, I don't know, a a kind of a, we can't be funny anymore because Mm. everything is so serious. We have to take 
everything so seriously and so literally. So what is the solution to living in that kind of environment? Yeah, well, that's not funny is kind of the new fake news. <laughs> you know, like, mm. you could just, like people have just <laughs> thrown out like, oh, well, that's just not funny. When, you know, there's there's different kinds of humor. There's preference. Uh, there's so, so much there. Like the whole, um, you know, Twitter got into it about the office versus Parks and Rec. And, uh, you know, like people were going beyond like, well, that's just not my cup of tea to, well, that show that millions of people find very funny is just not funny. Um, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, we got to find something in the middle because you've got like yeah. Fallonism on one side of like, just like mm. escapist. Like I can only laugh like if it's escapist or, you know, Colbertism <laughs> on the other side of like, Oh, I can only laugh at things if they make sense of the politics of my day. <laughs> There's right. got to be mm-hmm. something yeah. in the middle. Well, yeah, my sense is that we're being forced to work harder for our jokes. And yeah. we're, we're being forced to be more creative. And I think some of the resistance is, that's just a lot of hard work. And And so on the one hand, when you kind of slip into super seriousness all the time and everything has to be serious, I think that can be laziness, honestly. Yeah. It, it, is, an, it is a form of escapism to um, be angst-driven <laughs> all yeah. the time because you're, you're, you're <laughs> just not doing the work of finding the ridiculousness of it all. Um, but I do also understand how jokes made at the expense of others is also lazy. Like um, it is easy and it is not, it doesn't challenge you in any way to think beyond your own um, context and your own presuppositions. So I think it's harder. We're we're in a context where it's really hard work to find the joke anymore. (laughs) And so it's going to set apart, it's going to really showcase the people who are able to do it. These are unfunny times that we live in. You These know are unfunny saying. times. Uh, well, it- well, that's a good question, Ben. I would love to know what you think about this. Is it possible to build up our sense of humor? Hannah's saying that it takes work, that that people are being, let's say, lazy one way or the other. But how can we do this? Is it possible to enhance our humor? Or is this kind of like you're born with it or uh, you aren't? Well, there are, like at least in my classes, you know, there are people that see the world as funny and there are people that don't. And mm-hmm. that's really the only indicator of how high someone's ceiling is. Uh, if you see the world around you as funny, uh, you know, you can develop your voice. Um, but I think there has to be room for different kinds of humor. Like, so my dad is a Methodist pastor and he's big on jokes, you know, like the one to two minute story driven jokes that he gives at the beginning of a sermon. Uh, and he's very good at that. Um, that's not my, that's not how I do things. I'd put things more narratively. Um, but we have to be able to say like, Oh, like that's funny. And, you know, figure out like within joke telling, you know, there's, that's being done well and that not being done well. There's just observational, (laughs) conversational stuff, um, you know, that being done well and that not being done well. Scripted stuff being done well, 
not being done well. Um, so I, I think that it can be tested, but I think there has to be humility there. Um, you know, just mm-hmm. you have to be able to mm-hmm. think, you know, if, if you're someone that's always saying like, oh, well, no one has a sense of humor anymore. You need humility. And then for someone that feels like they're not funny, I think that person needs grace in their humor. Um, and that can be given through, like we can be people of grace to other people um, by laughing at things that we find funny. And it's it's not just vulnerable to joke, it's vulnerable to laugh. Like if you're the only person in a room that laughs at something someone says, uh, that's a vulnerable <laughs> thing to do. Um, but it can uh, help someone identify their voice, um, especially if there's someone that has, has thought for a long time that, oh, I'm, I'm just not a funny person. Uh, the, the gift of laughter to somebody um, can be such a means of grace. Now, I think that right there is a really powerful um, practical tip for conversation that Mm -hmm. we can give grace to each other by our responses to other people, to, to give that vulnerability, that willingness to, to celebrate the joke that they made. I mean, if it is truly, you know, an attempt that's in good faith and it's funny, but not to be so cynical that we are withholding our humor. And it's almost like, well, prove it prove that you're funny, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. try me, mm-hmm. see, try to make me laugh. And I think being cultivating a, a free spirit with your laughter and a free response and, and kind of giving yourself over to that person's um, even attempts at humor is really a gift. It really is. Yeah. So, so that stone faced, uh, <laughs> My advice to be stone-faced and uh, not laugh, that's for, you know, when it's used to marginalize, that's when it's used to Mm. other people, when it's used to heart, hurt and harm. But I'm all for being generous when people are putting themselves out there, when it's not a matter of harm. Yeah. uh, Polite laughter is fine. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It's an act of And and I come across this, I come across this a lot with my kids who are testing their humor and really the jokes mm-hmm. that children mm-hmm. tell are usually not very good. I mean, like <laughs> they're not, but then right? it's funnier because it's like, this is so it bad. Is. But to give them the reward of your attention yeah. and your laughter. Yeah. Um, my 12 year old is actually hilarious. Um, he is very literal and I don't even always know if he knows the jokes he's telling like yeah. sometimes he knows he is but he's not entirely sure and we had this um interaction where i was putting you know meat like chicken on everybody's plate it was getting dinner ready and i realized that i didn't ha- i had parceled it out you know not everybody had the portions they need so i took some off of his plate and i said this is a chicken tax and I put it on my plate and then he took it off of my plate and he said, this is a chicken, chicken tax refund. <laughs> oh, that's, that's perfect. Dude. I've got a spot for him in my closet. 
I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but but word. but also like I said, you know, culti- let, letting him cultivate that humor and encouraging it and like I remember distinctly the first joke he ever told which was awful. It was like he was 4 years old. <laughs> but we we laugh at it as a family cuz it's just so precious and it's something we preserve for him and he said, I think I swear he must have been 4 years old and he said, "What do you call a dog without any ears?" I don't know. You call a dog without any ears. (laughs) An earless dog. (laughs) Did he find that hilarious? I have no idea, but the rest of us died. Yeah. (laughs) But it has been something that we've cultivated and allowed and encouraged in him and the other children as they attempt it. And I do think that's a means of grace and building community is not to withhold that from the people around us. Yeah. I'm curious what y'all's experience is as women joking around men. If, if, if that's part of it, this, this can get cut out. This can get cut out, but uh, I, I don't know. I think we're going to cut out the first part and keep all this. All right, Jonathan, we're doing that. Yeah. um, Yeah. So what, what is, what's been your experience as, women joking around men and I, I there have been conversations about this in the Christ and pop culture members forum uh, and you can be a Christ and pop culture member for just five dollars and join in these conversations but uh, <laughs> thank you Ben so I already know that y'all have thoughts on this but uh, I, I'm curious what your experience has been I I don't tend to joke a ton in groups not really um, Mike and I joke quite a bit between the two of us and I feel fine there but uh, but I I feel like it just always tends to fall flat and I think that's more my personality than anything else I think it's very hard for women to get a laugh from men they can get it from other women and I think you see that especially within the Christian church you see a lot of women building platform or they're writing and they're the funny girlfriend and they do it really well, but their humor is directed toward other women. And so other women are capable of laughing. What I think is hard is getting the laugh from men. And in my experience and just thinking through this, I think it's because humor is very vulnerable. And when someone can make you laugh, you feel like you're losing a bit of control. Um, And I don't think, I think gender dynamics, especially within the church, are set up where men are told that they have to be the leader, right? And so they have to maintain this level of um, direction and control at all times. And so when a woman makes them laugh, there's that moment where they skip, like they've lost control. And it's made them vulnerable because she was able to elicit something from them that um, they didn't give. And that may be like too gender theory based and blah, blah, blah. But that's been my experience where when I open myself up and I let myself kind of be funny, I may get the laugh, but then invariably a man will have to come back and be funny too. Like I see this sense of, oh, that was funny. Okay. I'll let myself laugh about that. Well, now I have to tell a joke to kind of even the exchange. Mm -hmm. Balance it out. I see a lot of that where it's not okay for you to be funny alone at this conversation or this 
you know, dinner. Um, and I actually had that kind of conversation with my husband recently because like I'm trying to test my own humor. I'm trying to be a little more playful. And I noticed that it elicited a little more humor from him, a little more playfulness from him. And that was healthy and good and I enjoyed it. But I also had to ask him, I'm like, do you feel like you have to be funny in response to my jokes? I mean, like, do you feel compelled to be or do you just feel invited to be? Um, and I think those are two different things. Thank you for sharing. And if it See, makes... I didn't get you to laugh. See, you didn't laugh at any of that. Wait. <laughs> Proving my point. <laughs> so, yes. So uh, advice number uh, four, um, laugh even during serious things. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, for sharing that. Uh, and if it makes you feel better, I'm intimidated to joke around men. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's true. I think there's this like one up hierarchy, this competition that's invested in, you know, maleness, as my 12 year old would say, I think it's testosterone, mom, like that's his answer to everything. Whenever I'm like, you need to stop doing such and such. She's like, I'm a boy. It's the testosterone. But there's this inherent competition, yeah. I think, in male dynamics, even among themselves. And so even with humor, it's like, prove it to me, make me laugh. Yeah. And then I'll try to one up you, um, which really just makes humor fall flat if it turns into this. I mean, it's about uniting us. It's not necessarily about competing, in my opinion, but maybe that's just a female oriented. Yeah. View. Well, and hearing that uh, and talking about, you know, laughter as a means of grace uh, to my fellow dudes out there. <laughs> um you know, la laughing and uh, really listening too, because part of it's listening. Uh, mm -hmm. If you've, you know, decided you, you know, only these kind of things can be funny, um, but really being generous and giving people the benefit of the doubt um, uh, and, you know, oh, maybe this was a joke, you know, that, that can be really gracious. We are so thrilled that you have come and talked to us about all of these things, Ben. It's been so fun to chat with you and also not just fun, but also helpful in terms of processing the role that humor is playing in our conversations and in our lives, really. Um, well, as we wind down this episode, um, be sure to catch the first episodes in the Talking About Talk series. The first one was Let's Talk, then we had Table Talk, and then Small Talk, and we would love for you to catch up on those episodes if you haven't had a chance to listen yet. But we would really love for you to join the conversation as well. So Hannah, do you have a question of the day for us? We do. Who is the funniest person you know in real life? I know a lot of times we'll look to comedians or sketch artists um, as the funny people we know, but I want to know who is the uncle, who is the aunt, who is the grandparent, the cousin, the friend, the brother, who is the funniest person you know in real life and what makes them funny. You can come on out to um, Twitter at Persuasion CAPC. Let us know the answer to the question of the day there. You can also join us in the members forum. And as Ben said, you can join that forum for just $5 a month and support all kinds of great things that are happening through the Christ and Pop Culture Network, these podcasts, articles, um, the journal, and just the great conversations that we have there.
You can find us all over the interwebs now. As we've said before, we have a website. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Come on out and catch up with us. Tell us what you're thinking about this series and um, give a shout out to Ben. We'll make sure all of his contact information is in the show notes for you. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces all the shows in our network. You can give them a listen at iTunes while you're there. It would be great if you gave us some ratings and reviews. We sure appreciate appreciate your support in that way. And we do appreciate all of you for listening to Persuasion and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.